Listen now to uh, this gospel text from Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 9 through 17. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please pray with me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you are not offended by what Jesus is saying here, then you should be. I know that we've come to think of Pharisees as hypocrites and tax collectors as maligned, maybe even oppressed. But tax collectors were the worst kinds of people. They were sort of like individual tax collection agencies enfleshed in a person. Tax collectors purchased from their Roman occupying power the right to collect money on their own people with some pretty nefarious tactics. They took a hefty personal cut from those taxes and so became rich off the backs of their own people living under an oppressive imperial regime. And Jesus is saying, the people who are clearly good by our most objective standards are more susceptible to an arrogant self-righteousness than the worst kinds of people who throw themselves at the mercy of God. And God celebrates more the turning of those terrible but repentant people to our own do-gooding. Retelling this story on this last Sunday in our environmental stewardship series, in light of our current climate crisis, I would suggest hearing it this way. Two people went to pray to God, one an exceptional environmental steward, and the other 
one of those Republican senators with a League of Conservation voting record of 1%. The environmental steward standing by herself was praying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, litterers, oil industry polluters, one percenters, libertarians, or even like this Republican senator, I eat vegan, I give monthly to NPR, Amnesty International, and Greenpeace. But the Republican senator with the one percent environmental voting record standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this person went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. If that is not offensive, I do not know what is. It is offensive because the young people whose futures are most impacted by the failure of the adults to lead, they are not talking about grace, they are demanding action. You are failing us, Greta Thunberg told the UN, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you, and if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. And it is offensive because the way I see it, the Republican Party is now culpable for the ongoing warming of our planet. As Nathaniel Rich, author of Losing Earth, a recent history notes, the Republican Party is the only major party in the entire world that has a position that is to the right of the oil industry itself. I mean, Exxon Corporation doesn't even dispute climate change at this point. And yet, the official position of the Republican Party is that it does. And it is offensive because there is no question at this point about the reality of global climate change and the reality of the impacts it is having and will have on the environment. This is not a yes or no question. It is one of degree and speed. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently released a report warning of the critical need to lower global climate emissions and outlining some of the predictions as to what is likely to happen in the static model in which no further changes are made to our policies. Under this business-as-usual scenario, some climate scientists estimate that temperatures would rise by over four degrees Celsius or more by the end of the century. What does that mean? That means sea level would rise from 22 to as much as 35 feet, meaning much less land habitable for humans. The eventual melting of both polar ice caps, which scientists predict is inevitable at the current rate of warming, would result in a sea level rise of more than 120 feet. The 145 million people living at altitudes within three feet of sea level could be displaced by the end of this century. More than one million Florida homes are at risk of flooding by 2100, and many major coastal cities could be at least partially underwater. 
A three-foot sea level rise would flood 20% of the landmass of Bangladesh, displacing 30 million people. Can you imagine? There would be widespread droughts, and there could be a 40% gap between global water demand and reliable water supply just by 2030 alone. Diseases will spike, mass migrations and other issues could result in widespread instability in regional governments as well as severe armed conflicts, and one of every six species on Earth could go extinct. And the people who are taking us down this oppressive road, Jesus suggests, could be exalted over those who are trying to save us from ourselves? Offensive. But you know, the way that I've always heard this story is a kind of admonition only toward humility. Humility in service of some kind of post-life heavenly healing. All those people who are destroying our planet have to do, this old interpretation goes, is say, sorry, God, and they won't have to be held accountable. They will get their tickets punched to heaven. But I wonder if this story from Jesus doesn't have more to do with the truth about our own sense of self-righteousness. I wonder if the offensive nature of God's grace might be more than just what happens to us after we die. I wonder if it actually contains clues for the healing of our planet as well. Because the worse our planet becomes, the more desperate we all are in need of a political solution to address our problem. I think we all know that individual efforts are good, but they are not enough. And we will never get to a political solution without a foundational belief in the possibility that the persons we most love to hate are loved just as deeply by God and are as capable as anyone else of change. In fact, the more we seek to flaunt our own credentials of goodness, sort of like bumper stickers on the backsides of our Priuses, the less possibility we have of actually connecting to the people in our families, in our communities, in our churches, and in our nation who think differently than some of us do, and yet, nonetheless, I have to believe, do not want to see our lands destroyed. This is hard news because, look, I like a good self-righteous romping as much as anyone. A good finger pointing. And yet, Jesus argues, that doesn't lead to any kind of healing for anyone. It helps for both the Democrats and the Republicans among us to remember that the Republican Party hasn't always been so anti-environment. Republican Theodore Roosevelt established the U.S. Forestry Service and many of our national parks. Republican Richard Nixon created the Environmental Protection Agency and enacted the Clean Air Act. 
And Republican George H.W. Bush implemented measures to combat urban smog and acid rain by improving that Clean Air Act. A shift happened in the late 80s, the early 90s, when a few scientists who published essays calling climate change into question were paid about $2,000 per essay funded by the oil industry. And those essays were then fed to the parts of our media that are so eager for pro and con stories that they created a two sides of the issue false dichotomy, which is exactly what those powerful moneyed interests wanted. And then the H.W. Bush administration that had been climate conscious caved to those interests. And fed by a steady dose of talk, radio, many voters in our country bought into this narrative at our own peril. But the truth remains. Before 1989, climate protection policies were not particularly partisan in our country, which says to me that they don't have to be partisan now or tomorrow. And at the same time, our political environment is likely to get more divided, not less, as more and more young people move to the cities on the coast. Urban areas are going to get more populous and more liberal. Rural areas are going to lose population and get more conservative. And there is no way to bridge these divides without people willing to bridge these divides. And there is no way to bridge a divide if you start with the assumption that people of a different party than you are intrinsically bad people who don't care about our earths or about our lands or about the well-being of their grandchildren or the children of others. Now note that Jesus does not say that the past actions of the tax collector are good or righteous. He also does not say that fasting and giving and the sharing undertaken by the Pharisee, that those actions are bad. No, he says rather that God is always open to a change of heart. God is always ready to love and to forgive. God is always ready to work with people who know that they need God's love and forgiveness and power in our lives in order to be made whole. Which makes me wonder if more attention ought to be paid to those within the Republican Party who are right now advocating for a different way. People like Representative Francis Rooney, whose Florida district is already being affected by changes in the climate, who wrote recently, if we want to show America that we're the party of the future, then it is time for all Republicans to return to their roots as champions of our environment. Or more attention paid to some of the 77% of Republicans under the age of 39 who say that climate change is a serious threat which has to be addressed by everyone. Or more attention paid to people like Katherine Hayhoe, director of the Climate Science Center at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, who is also a conservative evangelical Christian. 
And like an Old Testament prophet or an evangelical circuit rider, she goes around convincing fellow evangelicals of the need to understand the consequences of all of our actions in relationship to climate change, building a following on social media where her TED Talk has racked up 1.7 million views. It is hard work bridging these divides, but we don't have a lot of alternatives. This past week, I was part of a national community organizing training hosted by Next Church and Metro IEF here in Baltimore. And by Tuesday, the entire training had erupted in hurt, anger, and recriminations. Accusations of the most painful kind involving arrogance, not listening, making assumptions, and disrespect. All of this intertwined in complex ways around race, gender, age, sexual orientation, all of our dividing lines out there in the mess. And at one point, Rachel Brooks, Bill's senior organizer and the organizer for our church, stood up in the chapel and said, this is really hard. It is really hard to build relationships that cross all the lines that we embody here. I'm not sure how to do it. I'm not sure if we even can do it. But here's what I know, she said. Unless we figure it out, we lose. Unless we figure out how to relate to each other, we lose. She is so right. I would add only that unless we figure it out, all of creation loses too. I think Jesus is offering to us a different way. And look, it is a difficult way. It is an offensive way that calls us in the face of oppression that is real to stay open at the same time to the possibility that our enemies could become our friends. Not to soften our demands for justice, but to imagine that there might be more to your enemy or my enemy or our enemies than we thought was possible. To nurture an environment of grace. And it seems to me that the only way to do that is to accept your own reality, my own reality, that none of us can ever become righteous without the intervention of God? That in the grace of God, there might be more to us than we ever thought was possible. That our greatest identity is not our party labels. It is not our neighborhood affiliations. It is not the racial designations that were created to elevate some of us at the expense of others, nor is it our disability status, but it is our status as children of God, loved by God in all of our faults, 
in all of our failings, in all of our possibilities. A designation that we receive not by our strivings, but as a pure gift from God. Like the land itself, God wants to give us that kind of environment of grace. Not just the land restored, but our ability to see a reflection of the divine in it and in each other. A gift of an environment of grace. It is up to us to steward it.